This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Kent Smetters. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm Kent Smetters. This is Business Radio, Series XM 111. We're going into our second hour of our show. As a reminder, we're live every Tuesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern um, and repeated throughout the week. So if you want to know if you can afford something in particular, or you got a question about your investments, or just wondering if you saved enough for your kid's college, your retirement, uh, anything related to your finances, just give me a call live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone, give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 942 7866. And with me in this segment is Kurt Stowers of F5 Financial doing a great job answering your questions. We have TJ on the phone. He has a He's a 30 year, year old personal trainer. He's uh, a $50,000 in a money market account, a small uh, mutual uh, uh, fund holding a, a target date portfolio for his retirement account, and he's making about $120,000 a year. And so the really the question is what to do with that $50,000. So TJ, you were mentioning you're trying to grow your business. What does that mean, growing your business, and how much capital is that going to require? That's a good question. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's as slow as possible, and obviously with my new kind of health situation, I'm, I'm really just kind of, my goal is to grow, but I, I don't know. That's my yeah. biggest... Uh, so growing um, just means having personal trainers work under you, that you, you get them clients and you get a cut of what they do? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I move into... My, yeah, what I do best, and then I I, I coach I, I, I coach them, and I make sure that they're coaching. Sure. And so then you mentioned your own health condition. Is that going to uh, get worse over time? Is that going to make it hard for you to collect your you know one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, or is that kind of stable? Um, yeah, I mean, cr- currently I'm healthy and happy, but it's 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 kind of a funny. Um, it's been a blessing for me. It's completely improved my life. But for most people, they look at MS as a death sentence. So sure. So. Um, it, it depends. Everyone's different. And so there's really no, there's no way to know what exactly yeah. will happen with your health. Okay. So, so I'm kind of looking at it like the next decade, I really want to build something that doesn't need me to operate. Yeah. Um, hence the, the Emith book that I, that I, that I've been reading sure. and other books like that to build a system and process that can, you know, help me in those, in those later years. Sure. That's the energy now. So I really want to put it in. Yeah, no, that's smart. Hey, so Kurt, um, that's kind of the breakdown in particular. You know, uh, he has those fifty thousand uh, in the money market account. Now, it sounds like to grow his business, you know, it's not necessarily capital intensive. It's about kind of, you know, maybe some word of mouth recruiting. But obviously, grow requires some capital. His health, we don't know what's going to happen to it. So therefore, he maybe wants to figure out a way. He doesn't have to directly work with clients and maybe grow um, the business. Uh, you know, have people. Uh, under him. At the same time, you know, it, we have to also think there's other other balances here, emergency accounts, retirement, and so forth. What pops out at you? How should he prioritize that $50,000? Sure. Um, the first thing that pops, out, pops out at me is, uh, first, TJ, kudos on the uh, the positive attitude, yeah. and, you know, using a statement of, uh, of considering MS a blessing as far as a lot of people may not be there. So that positive attitude is, is just huge in your situation. So kudos there. Um, as you described your situation, two things come to mind, the concept of personal capital and financial capital. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about both of them. Um, from uh, a financial capital standpoint, uh, I'd really encourage you to make sure you've got uh, got things tightened down pretty good on the budget. You know where you're at. You know what you're going to be spending. Uh, 120K is a good income. Uh, but my guess is you're going to have a lot of success and uh, lifestyle creep could come in. So dialing that in uh, would be the first place to go. Um, from a financial standpoint, that $50,000 in the uh, – the money market. You said you've accumulated that over three years, so it sounds like you get some good positive cash flow. Um, my inclination would be to actually, uh, again, assuming that that 1099 employee is actually a 1099, uh, the solo 401k is a really good option. You could actually, uh, uh, even if you didn't have enough cash flow normally to fund that, you could actually take the money from the money market account and, so to speak, live off of it, put your extra savings into the 401k. So you would actually be able to convert that money market account to a tax deferred account. Given that you're single in California, that would probably have a really big impact on your taxes and uh, allow you to start saving. Um, as far as savings, uh, where to invest that, 
uh, obviously the the low cost uh, uh, passive type funds that uh, Kent talks about are really important. Um, so that would be on the financial side. Um, on the human capital side, um, I'd encourage you to maybe look a little bit about how to capitalize on your situation. Uh, there's lots of personal trainers. Uh, I don't think there's probably a lot of personal trainers that uh, that are afflicted with MS. Mm-hmm. And I have a sneaky suspicion there's a lot of people out there uh, that could use the training that might really, your story might resonate with them. Um, building your business to scale with the other trainers is good, but maybe going upscale for some clients that maybe are going to look at you as a, a very special individual that's got skills and knowledge of a situation they're fighting with. Um, you might be able to really grow the business that way. So I would encourage you to look at the human capital as well as the financial capital. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And in particular, I had uh, a former concierge doctor at MS, and that was part, you know, it, it wasn't like it's, you know, gratuitous or uh, about it, but, you know, he, he did talk about his own, you know, challenges with MS and the fact that, you know, how is he able to overcome, and that was part of his his whole, you know, story. And it, I completely agree that that can be something that you can actually work up market with because it's you're, you're not just offering a story about, hey, here's how you build your triceps. It's really a story about how do you overcome and we know that financial, um, uh, tra- or, I'm sorry, personal trainers often are, you know, part of that story of inspiration and so forth. So that, that that's a great point, uh, Kurt. So it, just to break it down, TJ, I think here's kind of your list. Obviously, the uh, the first thing that Kurt mentioned is really important is that really thinking hard about a budget and it kind of sticking to it. That doesn't mean necessarily tracking every single receipt, but being very realistic. In terms of your original question about a house. I would wait on that. In particular, unless you are married, have five kids busting at the seams, and you just absolutely need more space, um, I I would not um, uh, buy a house. I think it limits your option value to do other things. And I would first wait till actually you build a big practice and then think about if that is actually uh, successful, thinking about buying a house. That $50,000, here's the, it, it, so normally you would say that's a lot of money for like an emergency account. I mean, I didn't ask you um, in a lot of detail what your monthly expenses are and so forth, uh, but nonetheless, it's probably, even in California, even Santa Barbara, that's probably a bit more than you would need for an emergency account. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the issue is that you face a lot of uncertainty in terms of your, kind of your own health. Right now, it's unclear what direction it's going to go. It's unclear if, for example, if you're really going to be able to build a business just through pounding the streets and so forth, pounding the pavement, maybe you're going to have to use some of that capital to, to, to build a business. I think keeping options open is really important for you. And so having a larger you know, emergency fund right now, even though you're giving up some you know, interest that you could, you know, a little bit higher interest uh, that you could get maybe in a bond fund or something like that. I mean, it's I, I think it's worth it just to keep that uh, risk l- very low. And um, and it just gives you option value for, for now in terms of what you need for building the business. If maybe um, health you know fluctuates and so you need to take some time off from your practice, you may not qualify for unemployment insurance, things like that. Uh, who knows? Disability takes forever, you know, to, to work through. Um, and so um, you know, I, I I would actually think you know that fifty thousand dollar base probably not a bad idea just to kind of keep it where it's at. But then. As Kurt points out, going forward, as you can figure out how to put more money into a retirement plan, if you feel like you're on a good path, your health is not deteriorating that much, you want to start to contribute more toward retirement, um, the solo 401k, given that you have no W-2 employees, is the, is the right way um, uh, to go for you. You can sock away a lot of that. And you can just do that. Given that you have a good income, $120,000 a year, you can kind of do that. Um, just from that flow kind of going um, forward. Is that helpful, TJ? Yeah, yeah. Overall, I heard, uh, you know, big emphasis for me is continue to build my business. Um, uh, Two, work on the solo 401k. Um, I am curious about the solo 401k, though. Um, what What is that? What is that under? And, and how would I, how do I, how? How would I even go about starting that? Yeah, you can even go to a place like Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, and so forth. They all offer that 
option for okay. open up a solo 401k. It's a little bit, you know, it takes a little bit more paperwork than open up like a simple SEP and so forth. But they've streamed online it so so well now. You can uh, basically get that from us, any of those providers. But thanks so much, TJ, for calling. Really appreciate it. It was fun having you on the show, and good luck with building your practice as well as your own health. Again, speaking with Kurt Stowers, who's the president of F5 Financial Planning, with offices in Chicago and Naperville, Illinois. Live on Tuesday, so grab that phone. Give me a call. We'll talk about your own finances here at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And let me go to Matt, who's also calling from Illinois. How can we help you, Matt? Hi, Professor Ken. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, my question is related to uh, investment options. Uh, my yep. wife and I currently um, are maxed out uh, on our 401k, 457b, and Roth IRA, and, and looking for some um, after-tax uh, investment options. Yeah. Um, we, we started um, a brokerage account at Vanguard, uh, you know, based on your advice, and I have some ETFs in there, approximately uh, $100,000 in both index-based and, and sector-based. Uh, in addition to that, we have uh, addition two hundred thousand uh, dollars in money market that we want to uh, continue to invest. So we're looking for uh, either continue funding them in the uh, Vanguard ETF funds, mm-hmm. um, or instead um, hire a financial advisor and have him or her invest uh, in individual stocks mm. uh, to diversify. Yeah. So that's where we were kind of trying to see which of the options would work better. Yeah, so I think there's really multiple dimensions uh, to all this. And by the way, we're going to work hard to uh, try to discourage the um, uh, investing in individual stocks because that's not the best use of a financial <laughs> advisor. And anybody tells you they can beat the market, um, uh, the proof is overwhelmingly that they cannot. But in any case, so let's let's really break this down. When you say that you maximize your 457, that's it means that you're in a state. Um, uh, a plan, so that's a kind of a little for executives and states and so forth. Uh, you can um, these this 457 plans and, and all the other tax deferred uh, options. Just to be clear about it, you're going up to the legal limits in your contributions. It's not just you're getting the maximum of your employer match, right? You're actually doing like if it was a 403b or 401k plan, you're doing the eight, um, 18,500 per year. Is that, is that right? That's correct. So uh, my employer offers 403B uh, yeah. and 457B, yeah. uh, both of them 18500 uh, You know, I'm maxing out. Uh, and my wife's employer offers 401K, so she's maxing out on her 18500 contribution. Okay. All right. Uh, perfect. And so then you have <clears throat> extra money left over. And then how much do you have right now in all your tax-deferred plans? Um. Approximately half a million dollars. Okay. Uh, in, in tax deferred, um, we also started Roth IRA a couple of years back. Uh, you know, with fifty five hundred each. Uh, that has an addition, uh, approximately forty thousand dollars. Okay. There. All right. So roughly half a million dollars, and then outside of your uh, your uh, tax deferred plans, including the Roth, um, um, how much money do you have that you're looking to invest? So, so yeah, we already have hundred. In, in Vanguard brokerage account. In addition to that, we are um, looking to invest uh, approximately two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty thousand. Where's that money sitting right now? Is that just cash flow you expect coming in, or is that uh, something sitting in the no, bank? Um, it's just in a money market account. Okay, money market account. And what's what's your household income, and how variable is it? Yeah, it's it's, it's very stable um, uh, so far. Um, you know, approximately three fifty. Three fifty a year. Okay. Yeah. All right. So in, 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 then your your I assume your monthly expenses you have that under control and so you you're you're having a good flow of kind of money uh, coming in. So Kurt, I think there's really kind of two things for Matt. One is that a lot of people don't understand that taxable accounts can actually be tax efficient if you're very smart in how you locate your stocks versus bonds and things like that. And the second thing is, you know, uh, hiring a financial advisor would highly recommend it on this show. But it's not really to pick individual stocks. It really is about um, you know losing, using broadly diversified, low-cost funds to try to do a better financial plan. So let's let's tackle the first one. I forgot to ask you, uh, uh, Matt. How old are you and your your spouse? Uh, 
Well, we're both in late thirties. Late thirties. Okay. All right. So we're going to be at this for you know quite quite a long time of you saving aggressively. So Kurt, let's let's say tackle the first ones. Uh, explain how taxable accounts themselves, if used wisely, can actually be fairly tax efficient. Sure. So um, Matt, exactly like Kent talked about, as far as um, a lot of times people think of just. Uh, all the retirement funding is coming out of those 401s, 403s, 457s. Um, you can't touch those funds until you get to be 59. So some folks try and retire early. And what you can actually do is you can invest in the taxable accounts. And what you want to do is you want to look at the different investment vehicles. Some investment vehicles have earnings and distributions that generate taxable income. Some have uh, more capital gains, which are treated more favorably. So what you'd want to do is you'd want to look at your whole portfolio. You want to look at the money you have in your 401ks and all those qualified accounts and the money you have in your taxable accounts, and you want to build a portfolio. Um, general rule of thumb in the uh, qualified accounts, that's 401s, 457s, 403s, you're going to want to keep your bond funds. You want to keep your REITs. Those are the main things you want to get there, anything that's going to be spinning off taxable income. Then in your taxable accounts, you'll want to have some of the things, maybe emerging market or international exposure or small cap um, things. So as you invest, you don't need a, uh, a financial advisor to tell you what the magic stock is. Uh, like Ken said, it's been proven time and time again. There is no magic, uh, magic advisor that can tell you what's going to happen. You want to build a diversified portfolio with a balance between equities and fixed incomes. And then what you want to do is get the right asset classes and then locate those asset classes within those accounts. A good financial advisor will be able to help you do that. But the other thing I think, Matt, um, you're going to want to try and figure out where you guys are going. You're in your late 30s. Do you want to work to your 70? Do you want to be done at 40? Do you have kids for education? I would encourage you when you talk to that advisor, make sure you talk to somebody that's going to give you a picture of what your overall plan is. Find out that with you help you understand your cash flow, taxes, insurance, help you plan all of that. And then you'll know a little bit more about how to do that investing, how to do that tax-efficient investing that uh, that Ken's talking about. Yeah. And particularly, Matt, really because kind of two steps here. One is um, when we think about setting up a taxable account with a place like Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, and so forth, the idea is that you have enough money in your tax-deferred accounts and taxable accounts that you can be really kind of smart of how you locate your assets. In particular, you're going to want to hold more of your bonds in your you know, tax-deferred accounts. That's going to uh, kick off income, but it's okay if it's sitting in your tax-deferred accounts, and then more of your stocks are being held in your taxable accounts. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't want to get you know, too unallocated by only have necessarily having bonds in one account and stocks in the other. On the other hand, it, you said you're in your, in your 30s, and so if it, you have a, a very strong income stream, you, your biggest asset right now is your future wages. We call it your human capital. And it sounds like that that's not super risky. So that's, that's more like a bond-like asset. So you could easily um, <clears throat> imagine putting most of that money in the taxable accounts in stocks, something like a Vanguard total stock market fund that's broadly diversified. It's going to do much, <clears throat> it's almost certainly going to do better than trying to hire somebody who's going to pick individual stocks because it's going to hold, you know, hundreds of companies um, and uh, using the method that economists actually recommend of maximizing your diversification. And then <clears throat> you're going to um, have more of your bonds being held in your tax deferred accounts. And, and this, the individual, uh, the, the Vanguard mutual fund being held in your taxable account, it's not going to kick off a lot of taxable gains along the way. There will be some, but it's not going to be a lot if you're really not you know, trading that account, you're not turning it over, you're not trying to, trying to time the market um, and things like that. And so that can be very tax efficient. Now, where a financial advisor is useful is not in trying to discourage you from holding a broad-based mutual fund like the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund. 
and saying, okay, I'm going to buy individual stocks for you. The, the record there is, you know, is really bad that financial advisors do not add value that way. A good financial advisor, and the only type we re recommend the show is the fee only. Again, only fee only. If they say fee based, you run. It's only fee only. They they are not looking to, uh, to invest in individual stocks. They like broad diversification of a mutual fund. They're looking to say, okay, how do we map everything to your actual goals? Whether it's retirement, pre-retirement, having kids, buying a house, paying down debts. Um, lots of non-investment things like making sure you're adequately insured, that you have your wills and estate and medical directives and all those types of things completely taken care of. That's where the financial uh, and ethical uh, fee-only financial advisor really comes in and is doing um, the, the real work for you. And so um, that's how I'd break it down. Again, taxable accounts can be very tax-friendly if they're used smartly. And a, a fee-only financial advisor cannot just help you figure that out, but they can actually make sure that you're saving adequately for your goals and you have the right investment allocation across both your taxable and tax-deferred accounts. Is that helpful, Matt? This is very helpful. And just a quick follow-up. I, I also recently started a you know five a 29k plan for I have two kids yep. for my first child, uh, and I'm uh, contributing only twenty thousand dollars a year. You know, with with Illinois uh, tax benefit, I was yeah. trying to take advantage of the of the max. Does it make sense to uh, ignore that tax benefit and contribute more to five 29k plan, or instead, you know? funded in an after-tax, more like a uh, brokerage account, as he, as he talked about. Yeah. So I'll, I'll handle this quickly because we're going to have to take a quick break here. It's usually better still to go with a, with a 529 plan. I know some people... I've talked about, you know, they talked, sorry, I'm uh, getting over a cold here, so I'm talking a little funny. Uh, sometimes using a Roth IRA kind of strategically to, to also fund education. I'm not a big fan of that. Typically, it's best to use, still use the 529 plan, even if um, you're in a state like California. A state like California, you get no state tax benefit at all. They, you still get the federal tax benefit of having more money in the 529 plan. It's just that the state benefit, uh, which, by the way, is never even that huge, even in places like New York, which give you a state tax benefit. It's not like it's a monster amount. It's a rule of tax benefits on the federal side. And so, yes, it, there's still you still get the federal tax benefit. Um, and then secondly, it's a good vehicle also when it comes to calculations for financial aid or special rules about how much 529 plans are counted. Um, and so it's really, it comes down to, do you want to, you know, how much of your kid's college do you really want to pre-fund? Um, you know, my usual rule is you don't want to pre-fund at all. <laughs> you, you, it's usually good to, you know, maybe fund a third to a half of it. Um, use loans, um, if, uh, but financial aid and scholarships and so forth will often take give you a th another third, and use loans for maybe a third of it. Um, reason why I like to use loans is I think it's really good for for kids that have some skin in the game. It affects their career at college. And if you always want to help them later and your, your retirement is already set and you're good to go in retirement and you still got some extra money, you always, you always help them on the back end, you know, paying off those loans. Sometimes even just paying them off, you know, <coughs> quite, uh, quite fast. So you're not going to really get hit with a lot of interest um, uh, payments on those. So thanks so much for calling, Matt. Really appreciate it. Got to let Kurt go, but fantastic job. And uh, thanks so much for coming back on the show, Kurt. Hey, Ken, I was really, uh, really happy to be here today. Um, uh, always good to deal with the questions. Um, uh, yeah, happy to, happy to talk to folks. Uh, you've actually talked to somebody from Illinois today, so kind of strange, probably right down the road. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, uh, th thanks again, Kurt, for coming on the show. And you can find out Kurt online by going to his website, f5fp.com. Uh, it's also on my website, kentonmoney.com. Again, that's f5fp.com. Um, as in paul.com. Uh, You're listening to your Monday. I'm Kent Smithers, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. When you come back, taking more of your calls, answering your questions on how to save your money, invest, pay down debts, and otherwise manage your money. Again, welcome back to the show. Uh, Scott Leonard, a smart guy. We've had him on the show before, really articulate, and we're going to do a great job answering your calls here uh, live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone, grab it, and give me a call. We'll talk about your own financial situation here at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. More right after this quick break.
everyone. Welcome back. I'm Ken Smathers, <laughs> professor at the Warren School. I think it's the first time we had that intro music. And you're listening to Your Money, Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. If you want some advice what to do with your money, now's a perfect time to grab that phone give me a call. So if you want to know how to save it, invest it, buy insurance, but get in the will, paying down debts, budgeting, really anything related to your finances, pick up the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. Uh, that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Welcome back to the show, Scott Leonard, who is the founding partner of Navigo. Uh, it's based in Nevada and California, and Scott has been listed as uh, among the five most influential uh, registered investment advisors in 2012, and he's been the dean of uh, the School of Investments for NAPFA University. NAPFA is the organization we talk a lot about in the show. He's, he's the fee-only um, uh, uh, advisor organization. Scott has been featured in many different outlets, including Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Money Magazine, and many others. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Hey, Ken, thank you very much, and I uh, hope you get over that cold quickly. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it's pretty obvious um, uh, how nasally I am right now. So if you have a question for Sky, again, give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we'll go to the phone lines in just a, a, a few minutes here. Before doing that, Scott, just remind us a little bit about your firm, and if you have a typical client, what's he or she like? Well, so we're, we're one of those uh, really small, boutique, high-touch, uh, fee-only wealth management firms. There's a lot of us around the country, um, and uh, we you know, don't take any commissions, right? We really just help our clients, give them their best advice. Uh, and it's really the fastest-growing part of the financial services industry. So just, um, you know, if people are looking for advice, there's, I'm sure, a local fee-only financial advisor right around the corner who will give them great advice. Uh, we tend to work with a high-net-worth client here really taking a, a holistic approach to their entire financial lives. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, in California here we are, in Los Angeles and also in Nevada areas, you know, it tends to be at higher net worth, a lot of real estate um, and investment assets, and just kind of help them um, navigate the tricky investing and tax laws. Yeah. And uh, again, speak of Scott Leonard, he's the funded partner in Navigo um, with offices in Nevada and California. As he mentioned, you know, the, the advice industry is, is growing. Uh, uh, and he also said there might be a fee-only advisor right around the corner. Sadly, however, of the 285,000 people in the United States calling themselves financial advisors, maybe about 5,000 of them are true fee-only <laughs> advisors. So, hey, we're still a minority, aren't we, Scott? Yeah, we, we absolutely are. And yeah. uh, we, we use the word fee-only as shorthand many times to really talk about a, yeah. a legal responsibility that we have to put our clients first, yeah. and also just the, the fact that there's not as many conflicts of interest that we have when you're completely independent. So you, I always like to tell people, you know, you're always getting our best advice. There's no guarantee we know what we're talking about, but there's nothing preventing us or even suggesting that we're going to offer suggest anything other than yeah. really what's best for the individual. And that's a great place to be. It is. And it's, I'm not saying that all commission-based advisors are necessarily unethical, but the model itself certainly encourages uh, a conflict that often will lead to not the best products and the best advice. Again, speaking of Scott Leonard, the founding partner in Navigo um, in offices in Los Angeles and um, as, uh, as well as Nevada. Live on Tuesdays, pick up the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Greg calling from Virginia. How can I help you, Greg? Hey, guys. Um Got a question about uh, paying off the house. Yep. So I've, uh, you know, I've got pretty much doing pretty well for retirement, right? Got the kids' college pretty much paid for, and I know you just said a few minutes ago not to do that, but I've already done it, <laughs> and it's all on the. You're too nice, on. Greg. You're too nice. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I've been thinking here lately that maybe the next thing I should do is, especially since the market's pretty high now. Yeah. Um, is kind of focus um, the free cash flow I have. And I've got, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of that and, and point that towards paying down the house and, you know, get to the point in my mid-50s where I don't have any mortgage debt and maybe not retire, but you, know, you just get a little bit more psychic freedom that way. Yeah, I wanted sure. to see what you guys think that's a good idea. Yeah, or. yeah. I mean, the psychic freedom is certainly, you know, material in the conversation. Just 
um, that, that is often part of the equation. So tell me more specifically, how much have you saved up for retirement? How big of a mortgage? What type of interest? Um, yeah. uh, do you have other debts? Give me, give, give, me, give me some more info. All right, yeah. So the mortgage is I'd say about like 370K, um, 30-year fixed with probably another – uh, I don't know, maybe 20 years to go with it, yep. um, or 15 maybe. Um, it's 3.75 rate, so it's a good rate, you know, it, mm-hmm. um, when the rates are real, real low. Sure. Um, save for retirement, I've got uh, 900K in a 401K, uh, about 930 in a 401K, and then I've got um, a whole life policy, which I know you don't like. Um, I'm related to somebody who used to. I'm married to somebody whose father used to be a general agent for a, a life insurance. Life that's life how insurance it company. often works. You gotta make the brother-in-law happy. That's that's right. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I've got you know I've, I've got a policy that uh, will eventually be worth 500k mm-hmm. at age 65. You know, um, and and that's you know good. So I'd, um, I would say now, you know, about 1.4 million, and then you know the equity in the house. The house is house is worth probably 900k mm-hmm. now. Um, so we've got good equity in the house, and you know, doing well. Yeah. Doing okay. So the in terms of the house, I mean, are you willing to sell that to to, to pay for retirement and kind of downsize? Um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. Okay. So, because we don't necessarily want to count any of that unless you're actually willing to do that. It's true. You can always do a reverse mortgage. That gets a lot more complicated. I will also say the 500k one. Just keep in mind, it's not worth 500k now. I mean, it may be worth 500k in future dollars. You know, at, at age 65. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at the cash. You know, the cash value projections on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's math mutual. It's a good. It's a good tier one, you know. No, no, I don't disagree life. with that. I don't disagree with that. It's just that, you know, we want to think about that, not, um, you know, how much it's worth, you know, maybe 15 years from now in future dollars. We really want to think about that kind of value today. And there's also a question, is it True. even better contributing to that on an ongoing basis versus putting money to a different account? But let's let's keep that off to the side uh, uh, discussion. That's going to require more, a little bit more actual kind of analysis there. So your real question is, hey, you got some cash flow coming in. Um, and uh, is, I, I assume you're, you're uh, maxing out your, your 401k at 24500 a year, you're doing all that, but you still have more cash flow coming in, yeah. and you kind of want to figure yeah, out maxing maxing out the uh, pre-tax after-tax as well. Yep, and so, so then you're so trying to figure everything. out, you know, so I'd be putting that to paying on the house a little bit faster, so I'd be doing other stuff. Do you have a taxable brokerage account set up? Now that I don't have. Okay. Uh, you know, other than whatever's in the four hundred one k as an after-tax thing, I, I don't really. I've never dabbled in that, you know, just because I just I'm a set it and forget it and sort of yeah yeah. I don't want to mess with my retirement money, and I don't want to think about it that much. So I don't trade stocks or anything. Yeah, like yeah, but you don't have to trade stocks. I mean, you can, you know, I've taxed. In fact, most of my money's in taxable, um, and you know, I don't trade it <laughs> very often. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, just only sell honestly, just for charitable giving, and so. I think you know you can kind of set it and forget it um, as well for for the most part, unless you get really unbalanced in your kind of stock bond allocation, um, things like that. But usually, I just you know, my case, I just typically just donate, <laughs> donate it at that point. But mm-hmm. so in any case, the uh, uh, there's a potential opportunity there for you know setting up a taxable uh, account uh, as well uh, versus you know paying down the debt um, mortgage. Tell me a little bit more. You said you know the psychology. How important is it? Do you for for you to be kind of debt free, how, how important is that psychology for you? I like the idea of debt free. I mean, I've always you know I pay off my credit cards religiously. Yeah, yeah I, li- I like that idea. Yeah, um, and just the option to just you know do whatever. Not that I would retire, but if I you know decided at that point in time that you know what, I, or I want to go do something different than what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. and not be a wage slave. Yeah. Um, you know that's, that 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 appeals. Okay. All right. So, uh, Scott, I mean, so the role uh, is, it sounds like the, uh, this is his only debt. That's what Greg, Greg said. He has no really other goals. He's had his kids through college, and it's really about retirement um, and versus debt. Um, he's getting some additional cash flow. I forgot to ask you, Greg, uh, how much additional cash flow are we talking about, you know, maybe per year that you could put toward paying down the, the house a little bit faster? I think I could, I could probably swing um, as much as. 
80. 80,000. Okay. okay, so then... 80 to 100K a year, you know, if I, if I really go after it. Okay. You know, with, with everything. And I'd, I've got about 100K in, like, rainy day funds, right? So I've got yep. enough to carry me for over a year in, you know, just sort of minimal ex- living expenses if I lose my job, you know. Yeah, good. And, uh, and what is your household funds, income right now? What is your household income? Um, over 500. Okay. All right, good. So, just just a shade over five hundred. Okay. So, Scott, in terms of your uh, view, in terms of you know, he another an extra eighty to hundred thousand um, dollars. It's really kind of two options here. One is he could, unless you could think of a third option, but he could put money into this, uh, paint on this house faster, get a, you know, roughly you know three point seven five percent, maybe subtract a quarter or something like that, for um, you know. Uh, dedu- interest deduct- deductibility, although <laughs> I couldn't do an AMT calculation quickly, um, but nonetheless, let's call it three and a half percent or three, even three and a quarter percent um, kind of risk-free return versus kind of setting up a taxable brokerage account and the flexibility there. How would you weigh that? So the, the, there's a couple first things to think about is, is what's the cost of carrying that loan and that's the that's what you're descending with call it whatever it is three and a quarter to three yeah. and three quarters um you know with amt and other things in there versus what else could happen with the money but i think we run these calculations all the time for people and they almost always come out a little bit better on keeping the mortgage versus paying it off and usually we're running this when people retire um, there's a big psychological benefit. However, when people are retired, when they don't have to pay the house off, there's, when the market crashed, the last Great Recession, one of the big things that kept people able to stay invested and not panic is they were looking at the equity of their homes and say, I can always fall back on the home, I can fall back on the home. So there's a huge psychological benefit to that. The one thing here, though, is, is Greg, um, Greg's still relatively young. He's not talking about retiring right away. Um, this mortgage is still maybe 20 years out, so there's so a lot of that um, that that loan is still really just paying that interest with a good deduction um, that that should be happening there. Um, again, unsure about where the AMT might be falling in. Yeah, and he doesn't really have any savings or or much in the way of after-tax liquid funds. And so, my suggestion to Greg would be is take those added monies, put them into a brokerage account. And, and get a simple investment strategy put together where you can set it and forget it. And there's plenty of easy ways to do that. And don't pay down the mortgage now. When you retire, you can always pay more mortgage down later. So in the next 10 years, if you're paying whatever that number is towards bringing your mortgage down, and then something happens in 10 years and you need money back, you can't go back to, your, to, the, to the, the, the lender and say, hey, you know, I prepaid part of this loan. Can I have this back now because I have an emergency? They just aren't going to let you do that. So you can always build up your emergency fund, and later when you have, when your cash flows down um, and you retire, you can always pay off the mortgage at that point. But it's important to keep in mind that when – the cash, the equity in your home is doing nothing for you. Your home is going to grow in value, and that equity is going to appreciate whether it's actually in the home or whether you have it in a loan. So you can take those monies instead and invest them, I think, financially at, at, at Greg's age. Um, and with as much time as he has, I think he'd be much better off to invest those assets, even very conservatively, um, and keep a building an emergency fund. And then when he retires, revisit this decision of paying off the mortgage at that point with all this added money he's saved. There's nothing to stop him from doing it from later. But once he starts, he can't claw that money back if he needs it in the short term for some reason. Yeah, and so, you know, I think that's, it's, that's uh, a solid device uh, there, Scott. And in particular, Greg, <coughs> sorry, where I come down on this is, Similar, where I, I, I kind of view this as a bit of a toss-up. And in particular, on one hand, if you're holding owning any bonds at all, if you're owning any bonds uh, anywhere in kind of your portfolio, um, they're probably not going to be be producing, you know, something like a three and a, three quarters or even three and a half, you know, percent return on a risk-free. Basis. So on one hand, getting that risk-free basis is actually, you know, three and a half percent, let's say, 
is pretty darn good, you know, for um, relative to say a bond uh, investment, um, because on a risk-adjusted basis, you know, uh, you know, a bond is not going to be paying you that. On the other hand, as Scott points out, I mean, having flexibility is pretty important as well. What you could do is kind of split the difference. In other words, you don't have necessarily have to convert your 30-year mortgage to a 15 or anything like that and kind of lock yourself in. You could potentially say, you know what, I just sleep better at night knowing I'm paying off my mortgage a little bit faster. Keep your current mortgage where, where as a 30-year term, you know, as it is, and simply pay it down a little bit faster. And um, then at the same time, what I would be doing is open up a taxable brokerage account. So the value of having a mortgage, even though it's, you know, a pretty high risk-free return to paying it off faster, is that it's also, because it's fixed, it's also an inflation hedge. And that is if inflation, which is really a big risk as uh, markets are starting to realize now is that is is, is inflation goes up your rate that you're paying on your mortgage does not change but your house price typically does adjust at least over time with the general rate of inflation so having a fixed rate mortgage is actually uh, by is actually some risk reduction in terms of the big risk out there that's inflation so i would not pay that off too quickly. Um, if it helps you sleep better at night, maybe make an extra payment every you know six months. Don't you know renegotiate or shift it down to a 15-year mortgage and lock yourself in. As, as Scott points out, you want to maintain that flexibility. But maybe make an extra payment every you know three months, six months, and so forth. But if for uh, what I would be doing um, is open up that, that taxable brokerage account, and then um, as you build up that taxable brokerage account, I would actually be putting uh, that's where I'd be holding more of my stocks, and then then with your 900000 your 401k, given that you're in your mid-50s, you should be holding some bonds. Um, I would be holding more of my bonds in the, in, in the 401k. And so what's going to happen is that you're, uh, in fact, in your current position, I would hold no bonds in the, in the taxable brokerage account that I open up. I, in fact, if I would open it up, open up a Vanguard, you know, brokerage account and only hold like something like the Vanguard total stock market fund or maybe the Vanguard, you know, domestic and the international funds. Um, but, you know, that that's essentially what I would be doing. And then, um, you know, it may, uh, it, so you said eighty to $100,000. You could probably be putting in, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year in that Vanguard fund and maybe, you know, another twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 towards speeding up your mortgage repayment. Kind of split the difference a little Bit, but still maintain your flexibility um, of not paying off that mortgage a little bit too fast because you got some inflation hedge and then you also have that flexibility um, uh, in case you ever need the money a little bit later. Is that helpful, Greg? Yes, it is. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. Really appreciate it. And speaking with Scott Leonard, who's a funding partner in Navigo in uh, offices in Nevada and California. Doing a great job answering your questions here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 and let me go to uh, Mary calling from Minnesota. How can we help you, Mary? Hello. I am so happy you took my call. Great. I'm calling with a question on what is better between an ETF or a mutual fund in my taxable account? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, this is an ongoing debate, you know, because people know. say, yeah. I trying to make that decision. Yeah. So tell me more about the, um, what is your tax, where's your tax ball uh, uh, account right now? What is it uh, like place like Vanguard? Where is it? Uh, it's currently with Fidelity. Fidelity. And okay. Mostly, I mostly have, I've had all mostly mutual funds that are indexed, you know, low cost. Yep. Uh, we have paid off our mortgage and we have a little extra cash flow. We've slowly built up our emergency fund, which is way more, you know, an emergency fund in our bank account is way more than what we need right now. Sure. More than two years of living expenses. Yep. And we have, and we have the extra cash flow from the, uh, mortgage being paid off. So I was looking at, well, should I just continue with the index mutual funds? I've read a lot about the ETF. Yeah. Our taxes are super simple because we set it and leave it go, so we never have to file like the Schedule C or anything else. Yeah. Capital gains. I'm and, not sure what I have to do for an ETF for taxes. And, and do you do you know um, what your costs are or what your how much fees you're paying on your current mutual funds? Um, 
I would have to double check, but it's they were pretty comparable to what the Vanguard ones were. They were like point. Point one six, I think. Okay, good, good, yeah. So, uh, Scott, as you know, there's always this debate about kind of mutual funds versus ETFs. ETFs, all the rage because low cost. And I actually forgot to ask you, Mary, uh, are you the type that was tempted to kind of trade frequently? That you, the stock market goes down, would you would you try to get out of the stock market really quickly that day, uh, or uh, what is kind of how, how do you operate? I have not been doing that at all. Good. No, that's have, that's a good one thing. That we've had, we've held for about sixteen years. Yeah. So yeah. No, that's just, that's a good thing because you know the one of the things about ETFs is that you can trade them frequently, and so that it can, it can lead to temptations of kind of market timing, um, even throughout the day and so forth. So Scott, you know, how do you weigh the trade-offs? On one hand, ETFs. You know, you can get those for five basis points, although you can get low-cost mutual funds now for very you know, low amounts of money um, as well. You know, Vanguard has even produced some literature of, you know, what is it true that ETFs are always, you know, cheaper and so forth? They're all pretty cheap now if you st stick with passive index investing. Do you have any strong thoughts about this? You know, I really don't. I think there, there's toss-up both ways. The only yeah. things... The, 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 to add to this conversation in general is with ETFs, I would stay on, I, I wouldn't go with the exotics, um, yeah. the ones that have less trading, less um, liquidity, because there can be um, uh, bid-ask spread liquidity issues in the ETF marketplace. Um, and especially with, with, the, with them trading constantly, um, it, with some of those smaller ones, that can just be tricky um, and a hard thing to deal with. Um, so if in the ETF marketplace you want to be with, you know, with, with the bigger brand type indexes that you're following or bigger, you know, bigger indexes that are there. Um, and then after, you know, after that, I think it, it depends on trading costs, um, you know, what the trading costs are for the, for the ETF versus the mutual fund, wherever, whatever brokerage platform you're using, and, um, and what helps you build that diversified portfolio that you really like. But I see pros and cons with each, and, and you know, taxes can be an issue. ETFs can be lower um, on their, their annual taxes as they go, but there's going to be some other problems with those when there's mass withdrawals and things. So yeah. um, that's what has me a little nervous in general about, like, you know, so I'm, I'm all about passive investing, um, but some of the really big name indexes, the S&P and some of these other things, that, that the next time there's a big pullback, um, if we see a lot of money being pulled from the ETFs and the mutual funds, both, those buy-and-hold investors could really get stung. So we need to be careful about that um, and, and maybe matching uh, a broader market index, um, whether it's an ETF or a mutual fund, just to kind of minimize some of that flight risk that's going to hit the buy-and-holders with these. That's what I see as the concern. Yeah, so uh, – <clears throat> Sorry. So, Mary, uh, in terms of, as Scott was saying, there there really is, it, once you get to the low cost, you're talking about 5, 10 basis points, 15 basis points, not a lot of difference in terms of which direction that you go. And I'm perfectly fine, typically, just sticking with mutual funds. Even if I can find an ETF for a few basis points less, I mean, it's it's at that point where you're talking about uh, such low cost, it's not going to uh, matter if it's just a couple of basis points. And so it, what I would do is if you're currently with mutual funds in your taxable brokerage account, it's probably not worth realizing the capital gains and just switching over to an ETF at this point. I would just probably stick with you where you are and only do that conversion if there's a really kind of a big difference. We're talking about, you know, 10, 15 basis points, something of that nature. And it's un unlikely going to find an ETF that's that much uh, uh, cheaper. So mutual funds, perfectly legit. you know. And if you do go with an ETF, as Scott points out, and there's a lot of ETFs out there, including small ones. You just have to be a little bit more careful with the small ones. And it's, in fact, it's a barrier to entry. It's hard to compete and bring up a new ETF because you know, everybody knows a smaller one uh, can uh, potentially be a little bit more uh, challenging to navigate. Is, is that helpful, Mary? That is. Thank you. I was just—if there was a difference in filing for taxes at all. No, no, really. They're both—they're both, they're both um, you know, going to be very similar in terms of uh, in, in terms of the, the filings. ETF is like a, a stock, and so it's just like you—you're just kind of holding 
um, holding the stock. So thanks so much for calling, Mary. Appreciate it. And let me go to Maria calling from California. How can I help you, Maria? Oh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, quick question. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm debating whether to move. I'm underfunded, first of all. I'm 55 years old. I was a stay-at-home mom. Went back to the workforce at 45. So in this past 10 years, I've managed to be debt-free. Good. Uh, my home is my home is being rented. I have uh, a 401k with my current employer. I have um, extra 125 with an Edward Jones account. Debating whether I should convert it into Fidelity, um, which is invested in Vanguard, or leave it where it's at, or find another avenue like yeah. a, a taxable brokerage account. Yeah. So in terms of the Edward Jones account, I assume you know as you, as you know it's a likely a commission-based um, uh, account that you're in. Uh, do you know what your current fees are? And I assume you probably paid or paid out some front load on that. Do you know what, what fees you're paying on that Edward Jones account is? Uh, 5% or something to that event. Uh, well, I'm, and currently they've gone to a different business model, and I'm grandfathered in an account where I have to pay like five to ten percent every time my money's removed, so I, I really need to get it out of there. But I'm not sure where to go. Oh well, yeah, it's probably not that much. I mean, that's typically the front load uh, tops would be five and three quarters. Um, it's not like you're paying every time. But that would be one of the big questions if you're if you have a back load. Those tend to be less common, but do you have a back load uh, on that? So uh, Scott, we're uh, go ahead, Maria. Okay, so so Maria, uh, so your real question is: Should you be trying to move this money out of uh, Edward Jones into um, something that's not a commission-based account? That something that you know is maybe at Fidelity uh, Vanguard, something like that. So Scott, you right. know, once you, you often, I'm sure you approach with clients that currently have money in one of the large firms out there, the national firms that are commission-based. How do you work through? Kind of, uh, you know, should they always transition, or is sometimes, you know, are they kind of stuck there? What, what your your thoughts? Well, so especially from our, our prior conversation, we yeah. know that you can get diversified investments via ETFs or index funds for, you know, call it a tenth of a percent a right. year. So anything above that that you're paying anyone, whether you're paying a fee-only firm like myself, or one of the brokerage firms, or one of the big banks is you have to ask yourself, what are you getting for that added cost? Right. What, 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 what's actually being provided to you? And if this person is just placing you in, um, in, in loaded mutual funds or, or whatever, if they're, just, if they're just putting you in a, into a portfolio of mutual funds and you're not getting ongoing comprehensive financial advice, I would, it sounds like we, I agree. I think with the fees that you're quoting, they probably aren't that high. Um, but but whatever they are, they're probably not worth it. They're probably too high if you're not getting good comprehensive advice. And so it would make sense to go talk to, um, you know, and there's a lot of, of the discount brokers out there. They've got, um, you know, turnkey portfolios that they can put you into. Um, you can get a little bit of advice, have some people on an 800 line you can talk to um, for some really basic advice. And I think that would be the first place to at least start. If you feel that you need more financial advice, then I would explore working with somebody on an hourly basis, you know, really trying to find that independent fee-only yeah. advisor. It's Scott, gonna, we've we, we, we got to go there. So uh, thanks so much for call, uh, uh, calling. Maria and Scott, fantastic job. Thanks for coming on the show. Sorry that I had to cut it short. You can find out more about Scott by going to his website, Navigo, N-A-V-I-G-O-E.com. It's also on my website, KentonMoney.com. I want to thank my other, other guests today, Larry Katlikoff and Kurt Stowers. Audio engineer Tatiana Zamisu and my producer Michelle Stucker. We'll see you next Tuesday. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.